Open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Ecclesiastes chapter 8. We're going to start there. And then open your Bibles to Job chapter 40 and put a ribbon there. Job 40. We're going to begin with Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and then we'll go to Job chapter 40. You're going to want to have your Bibles ready for today. Today we're going to be laying a a doctrinal foundation. I I hate the clock. I hate the calendar. There's so little time that we have together. And there are so many huge things that as Christians that we need to be grounded in. And that we need to understand. So I'm going to beg for your attention today. There, there might not be, other than the gospel of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, there may not be a more important doctrine for you to understand than what we're going to be covering today and next week. And the, the song that Kayla just sang, there couldn't have been a more perfect song because God is good, but there's still evil in the world. And if God is good, why, why is there evil? Why is there suffering in the world? And why do evil people get away with evil things? The Bible says, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? Why is it that, that governments can do such evil things? And when you look at what's going on today... I'll give you the the one that just, I I can't get out of my mind. How evil the CDC is. And if you don't know that, then you are reading the wrong information. Here you have children, babies, infants, that COVID has no effect on them. And they are mandating vaccines for these kids that are guaranteed to hurt some of them. Who here did not know that? Would you raise your hand? You didn't know that these vaccines were hurt your kids. You know, like 96% of Americans know that because they wouldn't give it to their kids. And now the CDC is saying that you have to give it. And so we have pharmacists and doctors and the medical community who follow the CDC guidelines when the CDC is intending to kill people. Say, Pastor, this sounds political. What does this have to do with politics? You have evil people who, for whatever reason, I have no idea why they would do it, are mandating this. They're, they're, they're making this a part of, that, of a vaccine schedule for kids. And it's not a vaccine. Now, I'm no doctor. I don't play one on TV. Uh, I, I have no medical training, but I know that it's killing people. And hurting people. Young people dropping dead. All around the world. Other nations actually prohibiting the use of it. Under a certain age because of the trouble that it's causing. How many of you get a little worked up about this? You get a little worked up about it. Why does God allow this to happen? They're going to make billions and billions and billions of dollars. Off of this. And the hospitals are guaranteeing patients. 
The doctor's offices are guaranteeing patients. It's, it's wicked. It's wicked. And we could go through, you could go all the way back to the food pyramid. Do you know how many people the food pyramid killed? Eat, eat as little meat as possible and as much, as much bread as possible. Right? And then genetically modify the grain so that there's all kinds of gluten problems and all of this stuff. Am I making it up? That's the world that we live in. Why is that, does this evil happen? Why does it happen? You say, wait a minute, people are living longer now than they ever have. Well, that is coming down a little bit in the West. But why is that? Because they can make more money off of us by keeping us alive longer, make us sick, and then give us medicine to keep us alive longer. And it's just this cycle that's going on. Where's God? When you have an Idi Amin come up and he kills just hundreds of thousands of people, where is God? You have the Ukraine war, which if there was ever a pointless war, it's the Ukraine war. Never had to happen. We could have stopped it. Never never needed to happen. All those thousands and thousands of people. Why does God allow those leaders to live? Why does God allow our leaders to live? When people are murdering babies every day, why does God allow those people to live? Why doesn't God stop it? These are the questions that we have. And look at Ecclesiastes chapter 8. This question's been around for a long time. Because sentence, verse 11, we're in Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and verse 11. Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Why doesn't God stop them? Because they get away with it, they keep doing it. Why doesn't God stop them? Put a ribbon here, we're going to come back here. When we ask those questions, so one of the, so we're going to go to, let's, let's go to Job 40. When you're at Job 40, look back up here at me. Where is God? Why does God allow things to happen? Um, and so for you young people, this is an information question for the most part. For if you live any length of time, something really bad is going to happen. And you're going to be confronted with some, with some kind of evil. And we can begin questioning God. If God loves me, why is this happening? You said, Pastor, I thought you were going to answer that question next week. I am, and I'm going to be very nice next week. This week, we're going to look at the question and how we should ask it. How many of you know there's a disrespectful way to ask a question? I had someone ask me this question one time. What's wrong with you? I laughed. I thought that was the funniest thing I had ever heard. What's wrong with you? And apparently I had done something pretty bad, right? I'm sure I had earned I had earned it. But can you imagine looking at God and say, "Who do you think you are?" 
Should we be a little more careful than that? Seriously, should we be a little more careful? Let's, let's, so what I want to do, first of all, before we begin questioning God, let's get a biblical foundation for our questions and how to ask them. So look at Job chapter 40. I put my marker at Psalm 40. That didn't help. So before we read the text, humanly speaking, did Job have a, have a right to ask God, what are you doing? Did Job have a pretty hard time? Yeah. So look at Job chapter 40 and look at verse 6. Then answered the Lord unto Job out of the whirlwind and said, Gird up thy loins now like a man. I will demand of thee and declare thou unto me. Okay, so, so Job, who had been through terrible suffering, his wife had said, curse God and die. He had, he had had his, his friends come along and give him some, some good advice, some horrible advice. Job was having a hard time, and Job had an end of it and asked questions probably in a way that he should not have. And God says, okay, big guy, how about you stand up like a man now and answer some questions from me? Look what God says. Verse 6, then answered the Lord unto Job out of the whirlwind and said, gird up thy loins now like a man. I will demand of thee and declare thou unto me. Wilt thou also disannul my judgment? Wilt thou condemn me that thou mayest be righteous? How could a loving God allow this to happen? What is God saying to Job? I am not overstating this. Here's what God is saying. You're going to question my judgment? You're going to question my righteousness as if you are more righteous than me? You understand? Am, am I making it up or is this what God is saying to Job? But you don't understand what Job had went through. Do you think God knew? Look at what it says. Verse 9. Hast thou an arm like God? Or canst thou thunder with a voice like him? Deck thyself now with majesty and excellency. Here, here, clothe yourself in my majesty. Go ahead. I'm ready. I'm waiting. You have an arm that can reach out like me? Go ahead. You think that you are righteous? You think that you can judge righteously? Deck thyself now with majesty and excellency and array thyself with glory and beauty. Cast abroad the rage of thy wrath. And look at this. And behold, everyone that is proud and abase him. Look on everyone that is proud and bring him low and tread down the wicked in their place. Hide them in the dust together and bind their faces in secret 
then will I also confess unto thee that thine own right hand can save thee. See, what is God saying? You think that you can judge. Can you? First of all, we don't know who is proud and who isn't. See, there are people that appear to be very humble and very meek who are the proudest people in the world because they think everything is about them. Not only can we not identify and see all the proud people, we can't do that, neither can we make them humble. I um, remember Donnie and Christy Brown, we were shaking hands one Sunday morning and I kind of pulled Donnie over the chair in front of me, fooling around. Then he pulled back. My feet went off the ground. I was flying toward him. You know what that is for a man? That's humbling. This guy can break me in half. That's humbling. You ever been humbled? Can you humble everybody? No. Be honest. How many of you know some people you'd like to humble? Me too. Me too. I can't do that. God can. So, what is the biblical foundation for our questioning? Remember who you're talking to. Did your dad ever say that to you? You come in, you're mad about something. You start to yell at your dad. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. Who do you think you're talking to right now? How many of you, your dad said something like to you at one, that, at one point or another? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. So now we're getting a biblical foundation for our questions. Go with me to uh, Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. Look at verse 18. Therefore, talking, this is the Apostle Paul writing about God. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. Thou wilt say unto me, why doth he yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? Nay, but O man, look at what it says. Who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? God, why did you make me this way? Why, why did you make me this way? How, young ladies, you might say, Why can't I be as pretty as so-and-so? Guys, you might say, why can't I be as tall or as strong or as good-looking? Why can't I be as winsome as the pastor? I know that's what you're thinking. Why, why can't I be as good as somebody else? Why, why do I struggle with this sin? Why do I have this personality? Why do I, why, 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 why? Who are you talking to? Are you wiser than God? 
Do you think he doesn't know? I was, we, we got to go and see Laura's sister and brother-in-law. You all have met Justin Hall. And he was talking about preaching through the book of Ephesians and how his OCD has helped him because he, he's been able to stay focused and learn some things. And Now, how many of you think that OCD is a blessing? People who really struggle and when things aren't out of place, it, it can be debilitating, right? Right? And yet, he was able to see the blessing of that as a teacher. For me, it's just the opposite. My scatteredness, my, my ADD, they didn't know what that was. They called it hyperactive when I was a kid, right? And they just beat you. <laughs> that, that, it's a, it can be a real problem, but for me, it's been a blessing because I like to study all different things and learn things. And when I'm preaching, my mind is going like this, and I can just pull something out of here and talk, and, and it's a blessing. But there's some problems that come with it. And when I was young, I don't ever remember doing this, but I might have asked God. And I, I, didn't, I didn't not do it because I'm a good person. I just probably didn't think about it. But can imagine saying to God, because I would sit in class in high school, and I, I remember wanting to, uh, honestly, I wanted to start banging my head against the wall because I was going crazy listening to this teacher. That didn't seem like a blessing. And yet, everything that I have in the world is because God gave that to me. Isn't that interesting? So, in, in, in immaturity, I could have looked at, the, at God and said, Why did you do this to me? Why don't you love me? When if I had just waited a little bit longer, it was the greatest gift that he could have given me. But how many of you know that every gift... Every, every talent that you have has a drawback. The greatest musicians in the world often have emotional problems. They're able to emote through their writing, through their instrument, through their performance. But the weight, that blessing that we get, carries with it the weight of checking the mail and having it devastate you. My friend Lawrence Vance, I love his ability to focus, his ability to write and do things. But there's always a side effect. There's always a downside to that kind of genius. There, there's always something. And we think that in our wisdom and in our judgment, we can question God. The reason I'm saying this this week and not next week is because lost people don't know this because baby Christians, you know, churches where they don't teach strong doctrine, and, some, and there are people that have been Christians for a long time, but they've never learned, they've never grown. They question the way a child would. Why won't you let me eat what I want to? Because it's not good for you. And then the child keeps going. And if you're a good parent, you shut it off. If you're a bad parent, you let them grow up that way. Now, look, listen, listen. We're getting a doctrinal foundation for our questioning. 
Look at Romans chapter 10. Verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Does that sound like anything that I just said about Christians? This is Israel. Verse 3. For they being ignorant of God's... What's that next word? And going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. So what is it that Israel needs? They need Christ. They don't need religion. They need Christ. Is that what the passage is saying? But they, but they refuse Christ. They refuse that righteousness, and they're going about to establish their own righteousness. God said to Job, are, are you going to judge me so that you can appear to be righteous? When someone is questioning God and we say, I know how you feel, I understand, I get it. When we say that, when, when we are actually expressing, how could a loving God condemn someone to hell who's never heard the gospel? How can a loving God create someone to be attracted to the same sex and then tell them they can't do it? How could a loving God do that? If God is for love, why does God care who I love? How many of you know Christians are asking those questions right now? My first answer is, who do you think you're talking to? See, and you've heard me say this before, but I have to say it again. There, there are some underlying assumptions behind those questions. Like when God says, when, when they say, why does God care who I love? You think you know what love is. That's an underlying assumption. The Bible says we don't know what love is until we've been loved by God. God is love. He is the definition of love. Who, who, who are you talking to? The Bible says in the book of, of Acts, let's, let's go there. Acts chapter 17. We'll look at this again next week. Now, those of you who have asked questions about how, you know, how do I answer, that's not what I'm talking about right now. Uh, all of us, can, can, we just, can we all just commiserate with each other for a minute? How many of you have ever, ever questioned God, whether you did it out loud or just in your own spirit? Would you raise your hand? Hold, hold them up. Just so everybody look around. Mine's up too. We've all done it. And here's what we should say. I'm sorry. Are, are you all with me? Remember who we're talking to. Raise your hand if you're wiser than God. Is your is your arm like God's arm? Is your eye like God's eye? Can see all of the pride, and then humble, abase every proud person. No, no. 
Isn't this kind of a different answer than we normally get to this question? Because that's not the answer the world wants. That's why they're not Christians. Are you a Christian? I know, your arms are getting tired raising it up. I wanted it to be big, okay? How many of you are Christians? You know Christ is your Savior. You've placed your faith and trust. Our thinking can't be like their thinking. Now, next week, you'll see the way that I believe we ought to answer this question for people that are hurting. You know, that's, not the, that's not what we're doing today. Y'all understand that, right? This is, we've got to know this so that when we are in the struggle, then we know how to, how to pray. All right, Acts chapter 17. And look at what he says in verse 22. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. They had an altar there in case they had missed one. Now, Paul knew they didn't know the one true God, so he used that as an opportunity to teach them. Whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. So, this God, verse 26, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. So, he determined when and where they would live, where they would be born, verse 27, that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. So what God did in his mercy was he had you born where you were born so you could find him. People, everywhere, every human being on the face of the earth is born where they are because that is where God had them to be born so that they could find him. That's what the Bible says. That's the God we worship. Here's my question. Travis, can you do that? I'm not picking on Travis as if he has questioned this. It's just, I mean, he can work with his hands. It's amazing the stuff he can do. He can't do that. Amen? Think about the, uh, Elon Musk can't do that. Bill Gates can't do that. They can do more than us. They can't do that. So, let's go back to Ecclesiastes. Do you feel, this is not my intention. My intention is not to chasten. That's, that's not my job. But how many of you kind of feel a little chastened right now? Would you raise your hand? You kind of, I do. Let's keep going. At times like this, I wish I was Dave McCracken, where I could act out how I feel about this right now. Um, So I want you to notice something. Verse 11. So let's go back to Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 11. Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. So uh, I want you to notice, first of all, that every evil work is already sentenced. All right, so hold your place here. Go to John chapter 3.
Where is God? Where is God? Why do the heathen rage? John chapter 3. Look at verse 18. This is Jesus. Look at what he said. He that believeth on him is not condemned. Look. But he that believeth not is condemned. What's that next word? Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. All right, so go back to go back to Ecclesiastes. Verse 11, because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily. The sentence is already passed. You're condemned. If you're here this morning and you have not believed on the name of the Son of God, the only begotten, God's only begotten Son, if you've not trusted in Him alone for your eternal life, you are not waiting for condemnation. Boy, I, I, I better do something about this before I die because I'm going to stand before God and I'll be condemned. No, 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 no. You're already condemned. Judgment has already been passed. You're guilty. You know what the grace of God does? He doesn't execute that immediately. What a passage of Scripture. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. The text writes the sentence as passed, though the execution is for a time suspended. So what can we learn from this? Well, first, we learn God's thorough knowledge of and displeasure at every evil. What, do you think God doesn't know what's going on? He knows everything. He knows what you're going through. He knows what's in your mind. He knows what you're doing or want to do. But he also knows what everyone else in the world is doing, what they have ever done and what they ever will do. God never learns anything. He knows it all. That's who we are talking about. When one sees the vile things done on earth, this is Alexander McLaren. He said, when one sees vile things done on earth and no bolt coming out of the clear sky, it is easy to believe that God is oblivious to all the foulness and wickedness in the world. But his eye reaches further than he wills to stretch his arm. He sits a silent onlooker and beholds. The silence does not argue indifference. The sentence is pronounced, but the execution is delayed. It is not wholly delayed, for there are consequences which immediately dog our evil deeds and are, as it were, premonitions of a yet more complete penalty. Now, you know that when people sin now, they bear in their bodies the result of that sin. God tells us to be good stewards of our bodies. If you eat wrong, you'll get sick. As I said, we, we take care of what our children eat because we want them to grow well. We want their minds to develop. We want them to be healthy. We want them to have some teeth when they grow to adulthood. Right? So, so we care for them. And yet, when we get out on our own and we can eat what, our, what we want, we can eat poorly and our body then demonstrates that. 
right? And we have all kinds of problems with all kinds of health problems and all of those things that come along. And you understand that for a Christian, that's sin, right? Boy, this is the subject nobody wants to talk about. See, I'm saying this because I'm going back on my diet today. (laughs) Because I spent the whole weekend eating as if I want to kill myself. How many of you know that there's a penalty for how you eat? Be be honest. How many of you know that? Now, some people are willing to pay that penalty. Why live forever? If I'm going to die, I'm going to die happy. Eat what I want. There's an immediate penalty. Not immediate, but there's a temporal penalty for our sin. Um, People who don't want to work hard, they want to take from others. Well, ultimately, that's going to end, right? It'll catch up with you. Uh, if you want to embezzle from your company, that might work for a little while, but eventually that's going to catch up with you. There, there's a temporal penalty. But there's eternal punishment for every one of those things. Right? So that's that's what we're talking about right here. It seems that right now the connection between man's evil doing and suffering is slight and partial. Here again, this is from McLaren. He said, when we look at all the evil and suffering in the world... And then we see a God that allows these things to happen. The Christian and unbeliever alike, then we feel that we have been confronted with the mystery of mysteries. The psalmist of old exclaimed in adoring wonder, thy judgments are a great deep. I can't understand your judgments, God. You know, that's okay to say to God. God, I don't know why you're doing what you're doing. I don't understand it, but I trust you. I trust you. Listen to this. Again, this is the continuing McLaren. I love this. Don't, I know it's hard to listen to somebody read. Don't miss this. But the absence of his judgments seems to open a profounder abyss into which even the great mountains of his righteousness appear in danger of falling. How many believe that God is righteous? Kayla's saying God is good. We know that God is good. And yet, When evil happens, God, if you're so righteous, and all of a sudden in our minds, the mountains of God's righteousness fall into the abyss. Christians, this is why we need a doctrinal understanding of who God is before we begin questioning him. The reasons for this delay. Why does God not speedily judge sin? Well, it's a mystery, but it's a mystery of love. It's because of love. We can only see a little way into it, but we can see far enough to be sure that the apparent passivity of God, which looks like evil, like leaving evil to work, to, to do its work unpunished, is the silence of, of God who the Bible says doth not willingly afflict. He's slow to anger because he is in perfect love. So, Let's look at if God did judge sin immediately. And now, okay, so I know I'm losing some of you, and I can see it on your faces. Let me bring you back. I really want you to get this. See what I mean? I hate, I hate the clock. I hate our ability to, my ability to teach well and your ability to hear it. Um, when we begin questioning God, and, and we begin struggling with... Here's what we're asking for. 
why does God, so let's say something bad happens to Corey. Well, Jet and Amber would want that to stop right now. Right? Well, God can do that. But he would have to do that every time. What happens if he does that every time? Understand, that's what we want. When it becomes personal, we want God to step in immediately and fix it, stop it, take control of it. That's, that's what, we're, what we want. Well, if evil doing was always followed by swift retribution, obedience would be only the obedience of fear. And God does not desire such obedience. It would be impossible that testing could go on at all if at every instance all of the consequences of our actions were being realized. Living like this would be unthinkable and confusing. So here, here's, here's the idea. If God judged sin, evildoing immediately, when you got to the age of understanding where you genuinely understood right from wrong and penalties, what, six years old, seven years old, boom, you're done. You're gone. You're in hell. You ever thought of that? How many of you believe God sees it all? He knows it. He can stop the evil. Maybe we shouldn't question his judgment. Because it's out of love. It's out of long-suffering. Again, the great reason why sentence against an evil work is not executed immediately lies in God's own heart and his desire to win us to himself by his graciousness. His mercy is what brings us to him, his, his love. He does not desire enforced obedience. He neither desires our, our being wedded to evil. He doesn't want us to be wedded to evil, nor our being weighed upon by the consequences of our sin, so he holds back his hand. I'm just telling you, folks, if God actually convicted us of every sin, I want you to think about this. Remember I always say, cheer up, you're a lot worse than you think you are? How many of you have ever been brought to the knowledge of sin through reading the Bible, through the testimony of another believer, or through preaching? Would you raise your hand? And that might just be one behavior, ungratefulness, unthankfulness, or something that you're looking at that you're not supposed to, and you realize it. Do you understand that we are altogether sinful? Imagine if we had a God that, that made us feel the weight of every one of our sins all the time. Have you ever gotten under the conviction of your sin and the weight of it? How would you like to live that way all the time? Could God have done that? Would you all answer that for me? Could God have done that? Are you thankful he doesn't? He's good. How many of you know that these guys right here are knuckleheads? Be honest. Right? Do you know why you guys are knuckleheads? 
Because all of us are knuckleheads when we're your age. You can't help it. Your brain's not done developing. Right? Imagine if we expected them, though. Imagine if we expected Anderson to have the wisdom, self-control, and behavior of Ty. Everybody laughed at that. (laughs) What is your reputation, dude? He's a very wise man. Brilliant. He's not. I think he will be. We be, uh, seriously, I believe that about you. But you're still a knucklehead. You see, this is. Uh, I'm not just stopping to be silly for a minute. That's the goodness of our God. When we begin questioning Him, we need to understand His long suffering and grace. Man, I wish I could spend some more time. I do want to say this personally. When I became pastor here at 33 years old, I should have known more than I did. I made some really dumb mistakes. I said some really bad stuff. And here's the deal. There aren't very many people left from that time. (laughs) A lot of them died. Not because of me. I didn't do it. But that row back there, Dan and Dodie and Jeff and Sue and some of you that were here back then, uh, Vicky and these folks, you guys put up with me. Some of you think you're putting up with me now, if you only knew. What did you do? You knew that I was a young preacher that knew some things, but I would need to learn some more. You were long-suffering. You could have fired me then and probably been better off. But you were patient. You were long-suffering with me. You gave me time to grow and learn. We all have to have that. That's why God doesn't stop all the evil in the world. He could. All right, let's keep going. The endless patience of God has no explanation but this. He loves us too much to bring immediate judgment. He he strives to win our hearts to him. That is our patient God. But what about the abuse of this delay? Let's look at Ecclesiastes. Again, verse 11. Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore, look at here. here's the abuse of it. The heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. We have a knack of turning God's pure gifts into poison. We abuse his attributes, this attribute of mercy and long-suffering. We... We permit this, this horrible behavior in ourselves, and it deadens our sense of right and wrong and go on in our lives without any serious thought of God's blessing. To the unthinking minds of most of us, the long continuance of this impunity lulls us into a dream of its perpetuity. 
Man's godless ingratitude is as deep a mystery as is God's loving patience. It is amazing that with such constant rejection of his love, God still perseveres in it. Far more than 70 times 7, he persists in forgiving the rebellious child who sins against him. And far more than 70 times 7, the child persists in the abuse of his father's love, which still remains. But let's finish with this. Now, will you all acknowledge that there is a delay in the execution of the judgment? Would you all agree with that? But there's an end to that. Look at Ecclesiastes 9, verse 12. Though a sinner do evil an hundred times and his days prolonged, yet surely I know that it shall be well with them that fear God, which fear before him, but it shall not be well with the wicked. That They're going to get, as the old movie said, their comeuppance. No matter how long or full the wicked man's life may seem, it is only prolonged like a shadow And has no substance. That's the illustration that God says in verse 13. But it shall not be well with the wicked. Neither shall he prolong his days. Which are as a shadow. Because he feareth not before God. In fact the shadows get longer as the sun is setting. The long life of the wicked man is but a prelude to eternal darkness. And the Bible in Jude 13 says it's the blackness of darkness forever. That's what's coming. When God has done everything that he can and sees that the point of hopelessness is reached or when the time has come, he lets the sentence take effect. And look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 14. I know. That whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything take it from it, taken from it. And God doeth it that men should fear before him. There comes an end for individuals and for nations. We were in Romans 9 earlier. The Bible says in Romans 9, 28, For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. For 120 long years, people mocked at Noah, but there came a time when the door closed, and that was the end. And that's a picture of what's coming for the rest of the world. You see, why, why, why God? You know what he would say? Because I love you. Because I love you. That... Let me just say something, and we'll be done. Could be today. When the fullness of the Gentiles become in, when the last person is is saved, and the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and he says, come up hither, and we're taken out. Then you know what he does? He looks at his angels who have been watching. They've been observing what man has done to their God. 
to their God's planet and to their God's people. And they have been waiting. And God looks at his angels and says, it's time. What if that were today? So we want God to stop the evil. I want God to stop the CDC. Uh, I, I want God to stop the, the Ukraine war and the people that are dying. I want God to stop that. Well, he can. He can. But if he stopped that, then your opportunity to receive Christ is over. Your loved one's opportunities to place their faith and trust in Christ alone. That's done. Forever. Where is God? He's right here. He's right here. I want you to leave with one thought today. Who do you think you're talking to?